Okay, so I received some questions in regard to my thoughts on the debate. Um, That's not what this episode is going to be about. I actually don't want to spend too much time talking about it. Um, We have watched Trump's behavior over the last four years. And we have watched Biden as well over this past year or so. I don't think a lot of us are really surprised at the fact that Trump literally commands white supremacist groups and proudly, um, without fear, without cautiousness, without, <laughs> without, um, shame, like the guy is shameless. Um, so it is what it is. I, I think that Trevor Noah said it best. He said at this point, there are no such thing or there is no such thing as an undecided, uh, voter, um, I have friends who are Democrats and obviously they're going to vote for Biden because that's what they're going to do. And then I have friends who are Republicans and consider themselves Republicans, but are so disgusted by what is happening right now that they are going to vote third party. Um, And some people who have never voted before are going to vote for the first time. So I don't think, I think if we really sat and thought it out and really reflected on what happened, we would all find that like, yeah, this is what's been happening for the last four years. The guy's a narcissist. This is what he does. He likes to hear himself talk. He speaks only to his supporters and he forgets that he is supposed to be the president of the entire country. And I think the worst part of it all is that um, it is kind of embarrassing as an American, knowing that the rest of the world is looking at us as, you know, kind of the quote leader of the free world, although I don't know how long we can continue holding on to that title unless things change. We certainly cannot survive another four years of this. We just can't. Um, And so, (laughs) you know, four years ago, I was obviously on the fence and I, I, to be quite honest, was not about to vote for Hillary and I definitely wasn't going to vote for Trump. Um, And throughout this podcast, I have made my comments about who Biden is um, and what he has done in his past and things of that nature. Um, I will say this, that I am going to vote, um, but who I'm casting my vote for is for Kamala Harris um, because that is what sits right with me and the way Biden is set up right now given his age and, you know, all of that that comes with the job, the stress and things of that nature, it seems more likely than not that, you know, if you're casting your vote, you should be looking closely at the vice president. That said, honestly, I thought the same thing about Hillary and I thought the same thing about Trump and this motherfucker is still alive, pardon my French. And the one thing I I kept thinking while watching the debate is, how does he have this kind of energy? I don't even have that kind of energy to go hard for 90 minutes just yelling and interrupting. Like that shit is so stressful watching it and he's living that. Like that's how he is 24 seven. And the fact that he's lived like that for almost 80 years is wild to me. Like wild to me. He's gotta be a deeply unhappy, highly stressed out individual. And then going into his taxes and the fact that 
you know, $750 in taxes. I went and I read all these articles about like the money that he owes, like billions of dollars in debt and all of these payments that he's, that, ha that he has due. And like, just like, I'm like, yo, like I'm looking at my life. Like if somebody talks to me, you know, one some, some type of way, like I'm like annoyed for like a good week, you know, like just says something like just annoying to me. Like that puts me off for like a good week. Um, I, I don't handle stress very well and I, I intentionally keep my life like, you know, peaceful and calm as best as I can. And reading all of the shit that he's, the lawsuits, the fucking, <laughs> like think about all the shit that's literally waiting for this dude as soon as he steps out of office, office rather. The lawsuits, you know, the criminal prosecutions of like his friends and like family members and people that are surrounding him. Like, I don't know how he can live like that, but you know, that's his life. I think ultimately what it comes down to is personally for me, I'm not telling other people how to live their life. Um, but for me, um, my choice is not, is neither Trump nor Biden. My, ch my, my choice is Kamala Harris. So, um, cause that's really, that's how I'm going to rationalize this. Um, it's really tempting to, to kind of go in and I don't know, like, be a contrarian and blah, 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 whatever, whatever. But at the end of the day, we just, we can't, we can't afford, we can't afford this kind of um, polarization. You know, we can't afford a president that feeds and thrives off of um, chaos and anger and suffering and, and pain of people. The guy has no empathy. Um, he, I mean, just, he's only looking out for himself. And it's not a judgment on him. It's just, I, I have to raise a child. We have to raise children in this environment. And that's not something that we as parents, we as adults should have to deal with um, on a daily basis anymore. Like it's enough, you know, enough. And look, if, if you, you are a supporter of his, that's, that's all well and done, um, all well and good, but maybe find other ways to support him than putting him in an international scene where everybody else is affected by this because this is not it's not a good look it's not healthy for the country it's not healthy for us as individuals um it's extremely polarizing and that's that so i'm not i'm not going to really speak too much on that um that's all i got to say about that not surprised by anything that he said not surprised that he couldn't condemn white supremacists hello he, right when the charlotte the first thing that should you know clued all of us in and clued most of us in that this guy is not quite right in the head was during the Charlottesville protest when he said that the Nazis holding the tiki tor torches saying Jews will not replace us were fine people. Like if that wasn't a red flag for you or all the other crazy shit that he has said and done that led up to that, talking about grabbing people by the pussy, um, making fun of disabled reporters, like if, if all of that <laughs> wasn't like, oh, wow, what is this? What is this individual? Like, what are we dealing with here? If you somehow sidestepped all of that and yesterday was the the last straw, so to speak, you know, welcome. Uh, <laughs> you're a little late, but that's okay. Um, join the club. We have cookies. We're gluten-free. Anyway, I'm going to get off that topic and move on. Um, I also want to do a quick, quick, quick recap of the previous episode. Um, and I appreciate 
I do appreciate um, honest feedback. And there are some people who have said that they really enjoyed the previous episode because it made them really pause and reevaluate their relationships that they were having with friends and family members specifically and how everybody you know around them seems to be trying to live their lives. And they found that, um, that episode very helpful. Personally, when I listened to it, I thought I was a little bit heavy-handed with the analogy of the ship. Um, and so I wanted to, in case some people like kind of got stuck on the ship analogy, I wanted to do a really, really brief sort of recap slash revisit of that episode um, because the information in there is very pertinent and it's not something you could just hear once and like, you know, grasp it. Um, To me, I feel like it's something you kind of hear a couple of times and pause and reflect on it. And so I'm going to do that briefly on this episode as well before I launch into the true topic of this this, uh, episode. So here is the exact parable um, that I read by uh, the passage by Bernard Shannon that I talked about that was in the Sufi book that I was reading um, by Osho. So here it is. Um, here's the story. It goes, a man awakens suddenly in a cabin of a ship and realizes that he has no memory of boarding the vessel, nor knowledge of where he is bound. Hoping to find someone who will enlighten him, he leaves the cabin and ascends to the deck, finding it crowded with people who appear to be playing various deck games with complete absorption. The man approaches the nearest group and hesitantly inquires as to the destination of the ship. The group look at him blankly, saying they do not know. The man, puzzled, now asks when and from where the ship sailed to again receive negative replies and blank looks. At that moment, one of the players is pulled to the rail by some invisible force and vanishes over the side. The group still seems intent upon its game, so the man agitatedly agitatedly points out that one of their number has been whisked over the side. The players shrug, telling him that it happens all the time. People just get swept away and are never seen again. Amused, the man goes further along the deck, only to see other players falling suddenly to the deck afflicted by disease or accident. He's thoroughly alarmed. What a bizarre situation to be in. A passenger on a ship, without knowledge of how he came to be there, nor of where the ship sailed from or is bound. The other passenger is all absorbed in games and freely admitting they have no idea of how long they will be aboard. The invisible force could sweep them away at any moment, or they could be struck down by painful afflictions or disabilities. The whole setup is wildly illogical, yet the strange position has been accepted as natural by the other passengers. They just do not think about it, but instead prefer to divert their minds by immersion in the ups and downs of the deck games. These games are governed by certain rules that are termed logic. Okay, so that's the story. And the book, from what I could find on Goodreads, is titled Immortalism or Immortalism in a, in a Temporal World. Immortalism in a Temporal World by Shannon Bernard or Bernard Shannon. I, I still can't find this copy. There are no available copies on A-Books or Goodreads or on eBay even, but I took a screenshot of it and... If you happen to, I'm putting this out there now in the universe. If you happen to happen upon it while you're listening to this, buy the book and hold on to it because it's a very rare book. 
Um, and if you cross it after hearing me talk about it, then clearly the universe wants you to have it. Um, but as you can tell, very powerful book, book, or I should say parable, that deals exactly with our life now. And so what I was trying to say in the previous episode was, one, like that's basically the world, right? We wake up in a world, we have no way of knowing what this world is. And a lot of people who you try to talk to about the nature of reality and nature of this world, right? They call this earth, spaceship earth. Um, and we're kind of just barreling through time and space. We don't know what, where we started and where we're going, right? We, we know all of this. But then when you try to ask a question about, okay, well, what is this place and what are we doing here? You're met with like ridicule and, and, you know, people attack you and criticize you and things of that nature, or they just say, you know, ignore it. Right. And then there's also, if you think about death, like there's this invisible force that just comes and takes people and people go missing or people die or people get afflicted with some fucked up disease. And in the back of your mind, you know that this is coming right for all of us eventually. And yet people just go about their day like none of this shit is happening and have no questions. So what I was saying in that episode is that that's not normal. In fact, to have a question, to have questions about the nature of reality, that's more normal than just going about, you know, your day-to-day life, not really giving too much thought of it. And so the people who are chastised, the free thinkers like you and I, who are chastised for having questions and ostracized and um, demeaned and all of that, I wanted to basically say like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're, you are actually more normal than if, than the people who go about living life with all of this happening around them without much in terms of like having questions about what what's really going on. So that was the first part of that. The second part of that was that I took that parable and I ran with it. I kind of built the story off off of it where that main character decided while he was living on the ship to start writing down his observations as well as theorizing about the nature of the ship, where they came from, where they were going. And he put the book aside. And then as he passed, he put the book somewhere where somebody else was able to get a hold of it. And then the next conscious person came along and wrote their book, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Once in a generation, you get a couple or a handful of these sort of people who happen to have questions, happen to be conscious, happen to be awake and aware of the fact that there's this invisible forces coming for them, that the ship is going to a destination that nobody seems to be aware of. And for some reason, the other passengers aren't even intellectually like kind of curious as to what is happening. Um, so what I basically said was that guy would have been the founder of what we term like our religions, right? You have these sort of individuals who are conscious and they go about you know, trying to make sense of the world and they write stories. In the future, future generations who've happened across these books, take these books and now treat that guy, like the main characters, like assessments, assertions, um, theories of the nature of reality as fact, um, and worship him as a god or worship him as a prophet, um, put him on some kind of pedestal and make a deity out of him when he was just a human being who was conscious enough to ask questions. And then I took that a step further and basically said, well, that's religion, right? Those are our religious books. And we need to operate with the understanding that everything that we read in religious books are just theories written by human beings just like you. 
perhaps more conscious, perhaps more aware for whatever reason, but still very human. And still all theories, even science, all theories that might be applicable and true in this present reality, but in the future, people are going to look back and realize that they were wrong. Then I took it to the next phase. And the next phase is basically saying like, question everything in terms of what you think is right and wrong and the kind of relationships that you have with people, particularly having, maintaining toxic relationships with family members because society says that you're just supposed to endure abuse from people, people who are trying to take over your life, people who are trying to impose themselves on you, drain you, things of that nature. You're just supposed to withstand and and accept their abuse, their behavior, simply because you happen to share blood with them. And I, I was challenging you guys to really pause and take a step back and ask yourself, what are the things that you have accepted as, accepted as status quo, as normative behavior that you, under normal circumstances, if you were making your own rules and really pause and take a step back, you would change? Because ultimately, you are in charge and you should be in charge of making your own rules in life instead of just going by what people have determined thousands of years ago, people no different than you had determined thousands of years ago were moral or right or just or whatever sort of, like who defined what's normal, right? A a person, a human being just like you. Why are we allowing ourselves to be controlled by the opinions and ideas of people that are no different than you? And then I took that a step further and just basically painted in really broad strokes about how a lot of us live our lives imprisoned by the expectations and thoughts of other people, right? Buying cars we can't afford or we really don't need just to impress people for a moment, just to get people to think something of us, to look at us in a particular way, right? Buying a a very expensive home that's, you know, 5,000 square feet, where do you really need that much space, right? But it's more because you care and you're worried about or you want to impress upon others an idea of who you are when ultimately it's all said and done it doesn't really matter so in that episode i delve into it really deeply if you enjoyed it thank you thank you for listening i i did really want to take the time to deeply explain the concept um and I did repeat myself quite a bit, but it was because it was very important. Like we do have to pause and ask ourselves, um, what's really controlling us, right? What laws, what, what our definition, what is right and what is wrong, you know, and really assess that and, and, and adjust and adapt. So that's a quick recap of the previous episode. Now I'm going to extend that to this episode. And I want to talk about um, just a couple of things building up on that. So for example, today, my husband and I were having a very interesting conversation about how when I was dating, so I'm like 6'1", about 140 pounds, I'm very tall. And um, when I would, when I was dating as a single mom, I was like on, you know, dating sites, match.com and things of that nature. And I was telling him like one out of like 15 messages I would get from men were white males who wanted me to like dominate them. They wanted me to be like a dominatrix or whatever. And I was like, it's always white men too. Like, I, I don't understand what that's about. And he was saying, yeah, it seems like a lot of powerful men like to be like dominated ultimately, because I guess what the idea is they spend a lot of time making decisions. And so at the end of the day, they just want 
to be submissive. And I've heard of that rationale before. Um, I find the whole thing fascinating. But I wanted, I told him about this guy who um, wanted me to like financially dominate him. So like he wanted to like, he wanted me to like spend all his money and I'm not that creative. I like I just I'm not built to be a dominatrix. I mean, I guess physically I am, but like the whole thing was just funny to me and I didn't take shit seriously. And I was like, wait, you want me to spend your money? Why? Like will you get off on that, but I'm not gonna give you anything in return. He was like, Yeah, I don't deserve that. Like your goddess, just use me. It's just there's something about being used by a, a tall, dominant, like beautiful woman that just like gets me off. And I'm like, Nigga, you don't have real issues. <laughs> real problems where you're looking for people to you know but it's no judgment so um but there was this one guy who wanted he was like you move into my house I will this is real talk guys okay so he was like you move into my house I will you know like I will sign my house over to you I will cook I will clean like I'll wear an apron you can go out with your girls you can even like go and like hook up with other guys and all of that I just I just want to be the person that you come home to and I will like you know, be completely subservient to you. And I told my husband all that. And he was like, you know, you're, you know, it's a good thing that you have integrity and lucky for him that you had integrity and that you didn't, you know, take advantage of him in that way. Cause I mean, I didn't like that was just, that was weird to me. But my response to him was like this, that had, (laughs) What the fuck does integrity have to do with anything? This is not an issue of integrity. I had a child. I had a daughter. But I guarantee you, if I didn't have a daughter, I'd be in Washington, D.C. right now. Like, living in some dude's house and having him be my fucking slave or whatever. (laughs) It's not, to me, what I said was, it's not an issue of integrity. I'm not taking advantage of somebody. He clearly stated what his needs were. And for whatever reason, he felt... Like he wanted to do that. Who am I to judge what's normative, right? So we have a certain set of standards that have been defined by some random person or a group of random human beings just like us that live in this reality just like we do, who made up a bunch of laws as to what is, quote, normal. And that anything that doesn't, that doesn't you know, measure up to that line of normalcy, we judge and condemn. I told my husband, like, it has nothing to do with integrity. My only thought process is if this guy is deviant in that way, and I use the term deviant only just for the sake of conversation. I'm not even trying to condemn him. I don't know the dude from Eve. But to me, if he is deviating from what sexual mores are, and more importantly, he gets off, right? He is turned on by, like, he wanted me to, like, like, he explicitly said, like, I want you to, like, kick me in the balls, <laughs> And, and and spank me and, and all of that, which, you know, once again, not judging to each their own. But to me, I just was like, eh, because once there was an age difference. I was like in my 20s and he was like almost like 50. And he was like reaching out for me to do this. And I'm like, I have a young like child, I have a daughter and I don't want to bring myself in, bring my child into that kind of situation and then have him like try something with my kid. Because if this is a person who gets off on pain, if I find out that he did something to my child, like I would beat the hell out of him and then he might actually get off on that. So, I mean, that's how I rationalize it. But ultimately I was just like, nah, that's not my thing. Like I, I want like a normal, balanced, healthy relationship. I don't know what happened to that individual. 
Um, and once again, understand that I'm using normal just in the sense of this conversation, not in a judgmental sense. Um, so I guess to rephrase that, I, I wanted and I got a more balanced relationship. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I need to respect my partner. I need to respect the person that I'm, that I'm with. And I didn't know what would have, what would drive a, a man, and particularly a white male in such a society, to want to be treated in that way. And I think I was mature enough and you know wise enough to recognize that. I'm the kind of person that likes to fix things, to heal people. And I would have walked myself into a situation where I would have been trying to figure out how did you get to this point? You know, what happened to you? And that's not what I wanted. I just wanted a relationship, right? I just wanted to find a partner that I could grow with together. Um, So that was not my thing. But is it to say that I I judge, I'm judging people by that? No. And that's kind of what I'm going to harp on on this episode too. It's, you know, sexual roles and sexual, like that's just one thing, right? Obviously there are things that are horrible no-nos like minors hurting children, um, animals and things like that. Like that's just disgusting. And when we have like a gut built-in reaction like to incest and things like that, those are things that we are pre-programmed. It's not even an issue of morality. It's just biologically you have an in in instinctive um apprehension or i forget what word i'm looking for you're just instinctively like disgusted by certain behaviors and you just don't you just it's built into the psyche it's built into our nature that you just don't do those things and so when you hear of certain things certain deviant sexual behaviors like harming kids and and things of that nature we're all repulsed by it because inherently we know that you don't have to, a human being doesn't have to tell you that shit's wrong we just know biologically that's not okay like that is not a, a sexually mature individual so to do that is predatory and we are throughout nature even animals know to protect the young right at least the higher life forms do like you'll you'll hear these stories every once in a while of like wolves will raise like children like human children and bears sometimes will raise human children um so instinctively nature knows to protect children so anybody that violates that like there's something really wrong with that so i'm not talking about those kind of people but other things where people like they're like homosexuality or even bisexuality we live in a society particularly you know you know, right now, I mean, it's getting better, but sexuality is just like this huge taboo and anything outside of just a vanilla relationship, you know, where the man is dominant, the woman is submissive. Um, and it's like quote unquote vanilla. Um, if you are bisexual, transgender, like homosexual, however you want to identify, um, polyamorous, everybody's got like, there's just this built in judgment and, I want to address that, you know, I want us to really pause and ask yourself, like, who who decided that this was wrong? Because bear in mind, when you, sp- when you think about the Greek culture, right, the ancient Greeks, their gods and their goddesses, obviously engaged in homosexual and homoerotic behavior. Caesar was, just, was said to have had young lovers, and so did Socrates and Aristotle and Plato. Like, it was normative for them, which 
should tell you that our definition of society isn't is it or I should say sexuality in our society isn't something that's like innate like instinctive right so any sort of um any sort of feelings that you might have against homosexuality is not something that's natural. It's something that's programmed because if you were born in a different time and in a different culture where homosexuality, particularly among men was considered normative, like the ancient Greeks and ancient Greeks, uh, ancient Greek, rather ancient Greece, rather, you wouldn't have that same sort of response that say a Western American in the 21st century would have, you know, to, particularly a Western male would have towards, you know, male homosexual realities or, um, I'm sorry, relationships, right? So these are things that I want, I really want you guys to start really thinking of. What is it that is determining, that's determining how you perceive what is, quote, morally right or wrong? What is, what is right or wrong, Right? Um, I had a friend who, because of the negligence of their um, their nanny, lost their child, and they were talking to me that you know when they confronted this this nanny who cost them their child, their child drowned. Um, when they confronted the nanny, they really wanted to kill this nanny, you know, and they were saying like I I, I didn't want to tell you this. I, I've kept this for so long because. I felt wrong for wanting to hurt this person, for really harboring, and I would have killed this person. And my thought was, why would you feel bad about feeling that way? You know, you lost an innocent child. You trusted somebody to watch your child. And as a result of their negligence, a child that you have emotionally, physically, psychologically invested in, and that's your genetic you know, material, or at least half of it. That's your child. That's your offspring. That's, that's your, that's you, you know, that's your heart. And you trusted somebody to, to watch them. And due to their negligence, they, they died. And in the worst possible way, of course, you should want to hurt them. Of course, you should feel like I'm going to kill this person. I want to kill this person. Why would I judge you for that? You know, and what they said was, you know, I don't know. I just always felt guilty about that, about feeling that way. And I said, why? Somebody hurt your child. Think about biology of that. Like, imagine, like, you're not a human being. Think about how protective just basic animals are of their young. Like, think about National Geographic if you get around a, a, a mother bear and her cubs or a, a mother wolf and her cubs or, you know, a bird and her eggs, you know, how protective they are of their young. That is something that is innately and biologically programmed. Like they will fight to the death to protect their young. So why would you feel guilty of harboring these thoughts? You know, and then I, I took it a step further and I said, even if you would have hurt that person for if you were in the heat of the moment you harmed this person you 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 know even or you even killed them in defense of your child who am I to judge you that is understandable now some of you hearing that are probably thinking whoa like is she really saying what I'm, yeah I'm really saying what I'm saying because who am I to judge 
obviously there are consequences to doing something like that. You can't break the law. But would I judge you as being a bad person when in the heat of the moment finding out that somebody allowed for your child to drown, which is just the most one of the most painful ways to die, and it was a young child. Who am I to judge you? It's completely understandable, and it's well within the instinctive, normative reactions of a human being. Allow yourself to feel that, you know. And then, obviously, we have civilization and we have the rules in this society that we must follow. But if you had existed just 200 years in the past or 300 years in the past, depending on your social status, that person who allowed for your child to be killed would have been killed and nobody would have had an eye. And so that's what more I want people to start thinking about. I'm not saying you go about violating our social norms, but I really do want you guys to start to think about what and how we define morality. Is it something that is a biological thing? Like is right always right and is wrong always wrong? Or is it just normative depending on the society that you haven't defined yourself in at this given time? I've talked about this in um, my Bad Marriage for Life episode where, and I got a lot of uh, a lot of feedback on that episode where people were saying, oh my God, like you would be okay with your husband if he had an affair. And my, my thought process is even now, right now, in a different culture, men have their wives and then they have their mistresses in Italy right now, right now, in France right now. And as long as the wife is protected and taken care of, they kind of don't really care. My only response to that is if you if you see fit to go outside of the marriage and have your meet met your needs met um physically your physical needs met as a man, then bear in mind that um it should be also fair you know for the woman to do the same. That's my only caveat like okay, stay together if you if the eros in a relationship is is gone, right? They say it takes about, what, three years for that romantic love to fade away. And the passion is gone and all you have left is like, you know, the relationship or a friendship. A lot of people end up disrupting their lives and going through a whole lot of pain and suffering that they don't need to simply because they have been programmed. Okay, so one person, one human being just like you came up with this law you know, a hundred years ago, a thousand thousand years ago, whatever that said, right? And actually, I would say it's it's more recent. Let's say like a hundred years ago, somebody had this romantic idea that love should be all consuming, particularly love between married people should be all all consuming, and you should be having sex like three four times a day or whatever. And once that feeling is gone, you've lost that loving feeling, right? Then it's time to file for divorce. That's not normal. That literally, that whole idea of you having to be deeply and passionately in love with your partner has only existed within, I think, the last like 80 years of human civilization. Before that, like, no, it was it was a contractual marriage was a contractual agreement. Women were property. Um, now, obviously, we need to find some kind of middle ground <laughs> between that extreme and what we have now, but to expect this deep, all-consuming, passionate love for your partner is the reason why divorce rates are as high as they are and arguably climbing higher because we have been socialized and programmed by other people's ideas of what romance and love is. And so we are now told 
that once you stop feeling the way you felt in the first year of the marriage, it's time to look outside of your marriage and it's time to, or it's time to file for a divorce, right? If you're not having sex like every day or three to four times, you know, a day, you know, like there's something wrong with your relationship and then you need to go and either get a divorce or find somebody who triggers your passions. That's not normal, right? We were, my husband and I were going for a walk this past weekend and I saw uh, an Indian, a Hindu couple, um, East Indian, and they like walked past us and it was a man and his wife and then a little child. And I got the feeling that they were just walking, they were holding their kids' hands and they were talking. And something struck me about the about just that image. And I thought, what a beautiful couple. And um, my husband and I started talking about them. We talked about how problems aside, I'm not about to like ignore the obvious issues that does happen within, you know, India's society, especially how women are treated. But let's not talk about that right now. Let's focus on the point. And the point is that the majority of Indian marriages are arranged and have been for a very long time. You don't, you know, you get a matchmaker, it's a family connection thing. You're marrying the family more or less. And then they meet each other, I think like the night before the wedding, I think. I don't know too, too much like in detail about Indian marriages, but we all know that they're for the, most of them are engaged. They're not love marriages. And then they don't really get divorced. It's just, boom, this is your partner and that's it. Now, imagine, I mean, it kind of takes the the hardship away. Like, imagine, okay, you know, like, <laughs> and for a lot of, for a lot of Western thoughts and what, uh, Western thought and Western thinkers and Western people, that's a hard concept to grasp. Like, you're marrying a stranger for the rest of your life. You're going to just be with this person. But somebody programmed that idea into your head. Somebody programmed the idea that you have to know somebody for three, four years before you, you know, get married. You got to move in together, try them out like they're, like, like they're mattresses, right? And then if you don't like them in a few months, then you can leave and end the relationship. Long term, think about that, what that does to the psyche. I've said this to, to a couple of my friends before about how in previous civilizations of man, for example, you, you know, women typically got married once, right? And that was your husband. And like, that was it. And unless something happened to your husband, like he died, you didn't get divorced. So you knew for the rest of your life, you had a partner, right? You had a spouse, you didn't have to date, you didn't have to go through relationship after relationship. So for all of, of civilization, all of civilization, humanity has basically adapted to the point where you, the person you mate with more or less, you mate for life. And that was a social construct. Like I said, barring um, death of a spouse, most people who got married were kind of like Indian, like the Indian culture. It was more or less arranged, right? It was more or less a familial thing. You know, the women were there to pr- produce offspring or whatever. And then, you know, they had each other for life. And once again, I'm not ignoring all the bad shit. Just like you shouldn't, if you're, if you're bringing up, oh, well, all this bad stuff about women being property and blah, blah, blah. Okay, but there's bad shit that happens now in our culture where we, get, we do get to choose our spouses. So throw that shit to the side and just hear what I'm trying to say. Um, so 
socially we have been had been um conditioned up until this point in our in our um in our civilization that you we made it for life more or less right and now all of a sudden with women's liberation and just things changing we now you had women just either having the same we went from women having the same sexual partner for the most part the majority of women having the same sexual partner and thus forming an emotional bond with just one partner for the most part for all of their lives to women now sleeping with one partner to another partner to another partner to another partner before eventually settling down and getting married. And what I said to my friends is think about what that does to the psyche because we didn't adapt for that, right? We we didn't, if you want to use the term evolve, um, socially, our social evolution and biological evolution says that women literally, especially with, hormones like oxytocin it says that a woman should bond with the the partner emotionally form an emotional bond with the partner that she's sleeping with and we are built for that right we have hormones higher levels of oxytocin that ensures that the person that you sleep with the more you sleep with them the deeper the bond gets formed um and that bond is there so that obviously the relationship is you know um a committed one so that she can bring in offspring into a household where there is a protector and provider that's just how that's happened and now within the last 60 70 80 years um, a lot of that have changed has changed but our biology stays the same and from a man's perspective same thing for the most part a man for the most part right you know how men are but for the most part a man had the one partner for the majority of his life and that was that and you formed a bond and now you have men that jump from relationship to, and that's become norm- normative. Maybe in the past, there was one man that was kind of like that, just doing his own thing. They called those men, those males, like those are the alpha males. It would be like one alpha male that was able to kind of sleep with a bunch of different females. And then the other males um, sort of got what they got. But now we have even beta males and, you know, omega males, whatever you want, if you want to categorize men like that or human beings like that, um, behaving like alpha males, as in having one partner after another partner after another partner. Our biology has stayed the same. You got to really think about what that does to the psyche, you know, to the heart, right? Because now... you're engaging in a behavior that has been over time adapted for just one partner for the most part. And now that same behavior is being triggered one partner after another partner. So that's hard enough as it is. And then with a breakup, it's almost like going through what a person like say in the Victorian times had to go through if their spouse died, right? Because that was that was the only reason why a, a relationship for the most part would end, a marriage would end, as if a partner died. And then they would have to find a new partner. And that's in our genes. Like our genes have memory, our, our genes have, you know, information that's stored in our genes. It's coded in our genes. But our behavior has changed. So then every time you have a breakup, every time you're in a relationship with the person and then you break up. Something in your brain mourns them, especially when you you get so addicted to them, like you physically become addicted to them. Your body reacts to them, to their smell, to their, 
you know, think about them all the time. It, 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 be, it becomes, they become an addiction. And then you never see this person again. And your body has no way of knowing that, oh, they just broke up. To your body, to your biology, it's almost like that person dies because you never see them again. And then you go through this mourning period. Now, if you are going from one relationship, let's say you have one relationship every year, right? Or one relationship every three years. To you, to your body rather, and to a certain extent to your psyche, it's almost like having a spouse and that spouse dying every three years or every year. And then you wonder why a lot of people are struggling with depression. Like really think about what we are doing to ourselves long-term in the interest of trying to be, I don't know what we're actually trying to do, honestly, postmodern. We are ignoring our biology and our psychology and our psyche suffers as a result. The purpose of this episode, once again, is a reiteration of the previous episode, is phrasing things in a way that gets you to pause and ask yourself, why is it that you are doing what you're doing? Are you doing what you're doing because you actually want to do that thing? Or are you doing it because of societal's projection onto you or you've been programmed by society remember i said in the previous episode the voice in your head isn't you it's society's expectations of you society's rules it just takes on your voice it just sounds like you right so relationships are a thing there are women and i i mentioned this there are women who have talked to me and when you first start talking to them, they, they tell you things that make sense on paper, right? Anything a guy can do, I can do too. I can hook up. But as you get to know these women, you start to see that psychologically and emotionally, they are, they're harmed. They're damaged, right? Because they're bonding to a person. Don't forget oxytocin. Google it. They, they bond to a man. Every time they sleep with them, no matter what they try to tell themselves, you can't beat biology. So they bond with a man, sleep with them, and then they move on to another partner, and then they move on to another partner. You're telling your your mind, you're telling your brain, you're telling your psyche that this person has died. And even though you've somehow convinced yourself, or I should say, even though these women have somehow convinced themselves that, no, anything a man can do, they can do too. At the end of the day, at their core, it does something to them. It damages them. And a lot of women particularly end up feeling resentful and end up kind of broken in ways because they don't ultimately know that this is happening, you know, what's happening in the back of their mind. Um, And they're just kind of going along with things because, well, that's what women are, are doing now. Like the hookup culture is the thing to do. But who said? Who says? And why do you have to adhere to those, the rules of other people, the rules that have been created by other people who are not you? Other human beings, a lot of the rules, all of the rules that we are governed by are rules that weren't passed down to us by aliens. Like They were constructed by human beings just like you. A per, it could have been your, grand, your, your neighbor's grandfather came up with the rule and, and he's long dead. 
and it's still controlling your life now. From the food you eat, to the people you date, to the way you dress, to the way you do your hair. And really sitting and meditating on what that means is kind of what I'm I'm trying to really push and adhere in this episode and in the previous episode and maybe in the next episode too because it's really important. Mental slavery. Mental slavery is a thing. Mental slavery is a thing. You, you don't have to have physical change to be bound. Um, you could be bound by your fear of what other people think of you, right? Which is what I've been talking about in these two episodes. You could be bound by your what people expect of you. You could be bound by society's mores, mores rather, um, society's norms, even your own. There are a lot of people who are in the closet, partially in the closet, and are deeply afraid. They are afraid of people's thoughts. That's no way to live. That That's no way to live. It, it, their thoughts. You know, and those people's thoughts that you fear, a lot of the time, their thoughts are a construct of, once again, people long by, people in the past. Somebody hundred years years ago decided they didn't want this. They just decided, you know, homosexuality is bad for whatever reason. I would argue that it was obviously the Christian religion. Um, they were trying to differentiate themselves from so-called pagan religions and thus, um, and the Romans who engaged in homosexual behavior. So anything that was normative for the Greeks and the Romans, the, the Christians kind of flipped it and said that that was evil, right? And so their culture, Roman culture, um, Greek culture was demonized and paganized. And then Christianity and the leaders and the pastors and the priests and all of that, they created a new set of rules that was literally just a reflection, like the opposite of of a religion that they were trying to draw people away from, right? So Greeks have, you know, many gods. Well, that's evil. We only have one god. Right, so this is the culture. They make sacrifices to their many gods. Well, that's wrong. We will have they make animal sacrifices. So they did the opposite. Christian priests did the opposite. So there's no animal sacrifice. It's actually just one sacrifice and it was God's own child. Right? So they had many lovers and things of that nature, right? The Greeks. If you read <laughs> read Greek mythology and read about Greek cultures, you know, the women were kind of doing their own thing too, but for the most part, you know, the men had you know, affairs and things of that nature, kind of like it happens now, but it was more open and the opposite became the norm for Christian um, religion, right? It was, thou shall have no, you know, thou shall not commit adultery. You shall not even think about your neighbor's wife in any in any way, shape or form, because that's a sin and this is a sin and that's a sin. I'm not saying that adultery, obviously, is wrong. I'm not, or is not wrong, rather. I'm not not saying that, quote, cheating is not wrong. I think that you decide, you communicate, ultimately what it comes down to is you communicating clearly and and being honest and straightforward with your, straightforward with your partner, right? 
instead of allowing these rules to kind of judge you and control your life. That's more what I'm saying. There are people out there who, a lot of people I'm noticing, are now becoming more open to what they call polyamory, um, which is, you know, open marriages and things like that. I personally don't have any experience with that. Um, but it seems like for some people it works and for others it doesn't. Um, and I think that the reason why it doesn't work for others is because a lot of people haven't addressed what's the root cause of what's causing them to seek out other partners. Are you seeking out another partner because of what you've been programmed to think in terms of what, whether or not your relationship is in trouble? Because if you're seeking out an, another partner, a physical partner, a sexual partner, because you've been conditioned and programmed that you should be having sex, right, with your wife, like every day, and she's no longer wanting to do that, right? And you're thinking, well, that's a problem with our relationship. I don't want my relationship to end, so I'm going to go try to find somebody to have sex with every day. You really should pause and ask yourself, where did that idea of how often you should be having sex even come from? Does that make sense, right? Is your relationship, what is your relationship based on? That should be something you should think of. Is it based on love, mutual understanding, respect, and friendship? Are those things more important? Why are you driven by sex? Why do you feel like if you're a man, like why do you feel the need to basically just find, you know, constantly have sex? That's something that you should address. You know, if you are, I also know of a couple where the woman Um, they have an open marriage, but, or not, they're not married, sorry, they have an open relationship, but it's only open on the woman's end. Um, and I think it's because, and the woman's not hooking up with guys, she's, um, she's hooking up with women only. And she has said to me several times that she isn't really attracted to men, that's another issue, then why are you in a relationship with a man, right? But I think it's, well, what looks good, right? If society is saying that there's something wrong with being a lesbian, then she's probably going to seek out a male partner as a sort of beard while low-key seeking out, you know, what she really feels attracted to. The problem with that is as a result is that the man that she's with is suffering because he wants a heterosexual partnership with his with his girlfriend, but she's not attracted to him. So he's being hurt in the process because she's not being true to herself because she grew up super Christian and to have these feelings for women kind of goes against like how she was programmed at a young age. So once again, like I said, a lot of these things, like I do want you guys to think about, okay, what am I doing? Even like I, I mentioned in the previous episode where I spoke specifically, this one's more dealing with like relationships, um, uh, sexual and romantic relationships. Whereas yes, uh, last week's episode was dealing more with um, more or less touching up on uh, expectations from family members and just absorbing toxicity simply because you're related to to a person. I really want you guys to sit and think 
you know, and not only just think like first, I guess, think about what drives your behavior. What are you, how are you living, you know, and what is driving the way you live, your way of life and your understanding of the nature of reality. If it's something that's being driven by ideas that you've been programmed by, like you got to sit and really write this out. I believe in this. I am a, you know, I am a this because of this reason, because this was how I was raised or because of I saw this on on a movie or this is what I expect from um, my partner, right? Where are all these ideas coming from? If you can sit and write it out and then kind of draw out the root causes and the, the roots like of all of these ideologies and all, this is the kind of relationship I expect to have with my parents. Well, where did that come from, right? This is what I expect to to get from a relationship that I have with a child, well, what, where did that come from? This is the kind of mother I need to be. Where is that coming from? Like literally sit and write that down. And it's not something that, that's originating from within you. And it's something you can identify that's actually coming from without, that from society, from other people's ideas. And bear in mind, I keep repeating, other people who are no smarter, no wiser, they're like the, the passenger on the ship, right? They just came up with rules that worked for them and then influenced other people to adopt these same rules and now hundreds or thousands of years later you are now living your life governed by other people's rules if you can sit down and identify what's driving your life and writing this shit out makes you conscious of it like you can then see it it's tangible in front of you if you can sit down and make yourself conscious of okay why am i doing this or why am i living my life like this where did these ideas come from Once you can see it, once they've been made tangible, you can now turn around and attack them and then start to formulate your own rule, you know, and your own laws and your own rules of life, right? Build your own, like, your own structure, you know? If you're a woman, and I'll leave you with this, if you're a woman who, and I guess this is, like, heavy on my heart, I don't know why, but I guess somebody who's listening to this needs to hear this. If you're a woman... And you find yourself jumping from one partner to another partner to another partner because somebody told you somewhere without you, you might not even be aware of this. You might not even be conscious of the fact that this is driving your behavior, but somebody impressed upon you on your psyche that this is an example of a woman who's empowered is like just being promiscuous. And at your core, it doesn't make you feel good. Address that and stop doing it. If that's if it's something that doesn't make you feel good, you shouldn't be living for other people, read, living other people's rules. It's okay for you to make your own rules. It's okay for you to, to make your own standards of what you expect, right? Both from the way, the behavior that you will expect and accept rather from other people and how you will treat people who violate your rules and your expectations. Govern yourself, ultimately, is what I'm driving at. You know, and the first step is understanding that a lot of these laws weren't handed down to us. A lot of the laws that drive and, you know, influence our behavior, our thoughts, and frankly, cause us a lot of pain and suffering and misery and, and lead to our depression. A lot of these, you know, oh, I, I go, to go to college, I've got to work really hard, I've got to take on three jobs, I've got to hustle, all of this stuff. I've got to 
date this person, marry this person, wear my hair this way, dress like this, like all of these fucking rules are oppressive. And you don't have to abide by them. You can sit and construct your own rules. And I think that that's the key to living a peaceful, low-stress life.